Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At Keep Playing Baseball, we don't think money should dictate college baseball opportunity, and all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We'll use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the best source of recruiting information on the go. On today's episode, we're joined by Jordan Stampler, head baseball coach at D3 Pfeiffer University in North Carolina. 2018 was Stampler's first year as a head coach, having served as an assistant on the same staff for the previous two seasons. Stampler started his head coaching career off with a bang, leading his team to a 31-7 record and winning 19 straight games to close out the season. Before coaching at Pfeiffer, Stampler spent time coaching at D3 Powerhouse Adrian College in Michigan and his alma mater D1 USC Upstate in South Carolina. A native of Florida, Stampler attended what is now Eastern Florida State College, a successful junior college before finishing his career at USC Upstate. Having spent time playing or coaching at the junior college, D1, D2, and D3 levels, Stamp is the perfect person to have on this show and share some insight into the college baseball experience and the recruiting process. Stamp, want to welcome you to College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Ethan, I appreciate you asking me to be on. Thank you for, uh, for entertaining me. Now, you've, you've had a pretty unique background, both playing and coaching, and you've covered a lot of different levels. So what I want to do is I want to tap into that experience so that we can give listeners an opportunity to better understand each level. So as I said in the intro, you've played at the junior college level, played at the Division One level, you've coached at the D1, D2, and D3 levels. Why don't we start off with Division One? Tell us a little bit about what it takes to play at the Division One level, and, and what do players need to know about playing D1 baseball? Yeah, well, Ethan, I, I appreciate it, and I've been very uh, fortunate to have, you know, played and coached at all various levels. Um, but at the Division One level, man, it's, uh, you know, it, it is truly the cream of the crop, man. There are some really good ball players at, you know, at all levels, but, um, you know, I think college coaches do a pretty good job of finding the, uh, you know, the top top level talent, um, whether it be, you know, a power five school or even a mid-major. Um, you're seeing it a lot this year. Uh, you know, two teams from the conference that I played in are, are got a regional bid um, in Stetson and Jacksonville. So, you know, they're producing um, professional ball players at the same, you know, what feels like the same rate as some of these bigger schools. And um, I, I think it's just really guys understanding the, the preparation and the work ethic you know, kind of before they get into college that these programs expect, um, you know, dive, some of these, dive into that a little bit more. What, what do you mean by work ethic and time commitment yeah. and those types of things? Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a full-time job plus some Ethan. And I think that's, uh, you know, what, what a lot of high school players don't understand, um, you know, from 6am basically until sometimes nine or 10pm, if you got a night game or a study hall, um, depending on the time of the year, be it fall or spring, you got a you got a fully loaded schedule, you know, 6 a.m. lift, class, you know, from any time 8 to 12, and you got to mix lunch in there too. Then you got, you know, your individual work. Then you got, 
um, your early work with the team, and then you got team practice or, or your game. And then after that, you got, you know, you got to get in the training room and stay healthy. And then you got study hall and you're not getting into, into the bed sometimes at nine or 10. So, you know, just the sheer level of commitment, I think you have to have, um, to actually say, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to pursue this, this dream, um, of playing, you know, that, that level baseball is, a is a burden in itself. And I think there's a lot of guys who, don't realize that before the fact and there's plenty of guys who enjoy it and they embrace it and um you know they love that ride but that work ethic time commitment you know it uh, it all comes to fruition this time of year for a lot of for a lot of those guys with the aspirations of, of getting to omaha so two things that i want to hit on that you mentioned is just the totality of playing college baseball playing at the division one level just it, like you said, it's a full-time job, and a lot of people don't realize that going in, but it's going to take whatever you were doing at high school and magnify that times about 10. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is you mentioned that the Division One level is, you know, you're competing against guys that are going to be professional players. So for guys who have these D1 aspirations, and, and if we're being realistic, you know, that's the that's the goal for the vast majority of high school players. What are some of these skills that that these players have? How can kids know that they have that D1 talent? Um, You're talking about from the kid's perspective, how would they know? Right. If I'm a recruit, how can I I tell if I'm a D1 guy? Well, you know, I I don't think it's an exact science. Um, You know, I think there, there are guys that, coaches recruit that miss on and there are guys that coaches give a shot when nobody else does and, and they pan out you know you heard the story of David Eckstein and I'm you know somewhere along the way there's a five-star recruit that doesn't pan out right so there's there's both ends of the spectrum there but at the same time man I, I think if you stack yourself up against the kids that are around you and in your area and then you go outside of that you know in your region in your state and then you go outside of that in your country and even now the game's so globally and that you could you know, you could look at Puerto Rico, Venezuela, um, you know, you know, you go to China, like there's college college teams that are recruiting even out of the country now. So the game even at the collegiate level has, has gone international. And, um, I w- you know, one thing that I got kind of caught up in in my uh, when I was being recruited was was comparing myself to almost my friends, you know, just the guys who were right around me. And I wasn't necessarily comparing myself to the best players in my county or the best players in the tri-county area, you know, Dade Broward and Palm Beach, and then the best kids in the state. And I had all these thoughts in my mind that I was this great player, but I, I was comparing myself to, you know, uh, such a small uh, population sample. And I, I think that's a really good way to look at it, man. Like, I, you know, I had really good numbers in high school. My, my batting average was great, but you know, Ethan, I wasn't a big kid. I didn't run a six, six. I didn't have a hose across the infield. I was a solid high school player, but that's what I was, man. I was a solid high school player. Right. And for me, you know, I was really fortunate to have the opportunity to go to a junior college and to develop there into the player that I became. Um, but it took me those two years of, of growth um, and maturation to really see that there's some, there's some talent, man. And I gotta, I gotta step up or the game's going to pass me up. And you know, those two years were really big for me in terms of that growth and maturation. But I think you compare yourself to the, you know, the population around you. If you really want a clear and vivid answer, you know, we got so many sabermetrics and, 
different ways to analyze players now, um, even at the amateur level, you know, those numbers play. And like I said, you're going to have guys who throw 90 who don't pan out at the next level. Like, we understand that. But a vast majority of the time, like, those are the guys that, you know, a, a big-time school is going to be on. What, you know, if they're a sophomore, junior, senior in high school, that's those are the types of kids that, that you know, you need to be cons- comparing yourself to if you feel like you're, you're of that caliber. So what you're saying is kids have to take an objective look at themselves and really evaluate themselves in the big picture. They have to look at who they're going to be competing against for these Division One roster spots. And as you mentioned, that's that's everyone in the country. You know, it's with technology, right. it's become easier for programs from the East Coast to recruit kids from the West Coast and vice versa. Yep. And as you mentioned, even out of the country. So that's a that's a really good point. How about Division Two? How does how does Division Two differ from Division One baseball in your experience, and, and what would you say the, the main difference is there? Yeah, um, you know, like like you said in the intro, man, I've had the opportunity to to see whether it be playing or coaching at a basically every different level, and um, you know, the talent at the Division Two level is uh, is scary, scary good, and I think it gets you know, overlooked or however you want to say it, um, from time to time by, by recruits and their parents and, you know, other people involved in the potential recruits recruitment process. I'm from South Florida, as you know, Ethan, and, and in my backyard, probably two miles from my house is Nova Southeastern. Uh, they won the division two national title two years ago now. Um, you know, that conference is constantly sending teams to carry, um, with Nova and Tampa and, and Florida Southern and, Barry and Lynn and I mean it's nonstop in that conference so I kind of grew up understanding a little bit more than most how good some of those teams were but I don't think I really understood it until I got to coach at the level Um, and that that was when I came over here at Pfeiffer and we started recruiting some guys that you know whether they were a division one bounce back or um, you know we faced a kid down at Barry who actually played minor league baseball for for a year or something and got released he was up to 97 when we faced them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the talent is still there. And, and, you know, this year in the league that we just left, Conference Carolinas, North Greenville, who, who won the league, um, was, was the number one team in the country. Belmont Abbey, who was also in that league, was the number eight team in the country. Matt Olive, who has been perennially maybe the best team in our region, I think was, was in the top 25 for most of the season as well. And you, you, what I think you see a lot of at the Division II level is uh is guys in the recruiting process I'm talking about guys who overlook it and don't really think give it a give it a real opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest difference I would say Ethan is probably the depth and I think that answer holds true even from D2 to D3. Right. So I still think you know I, I really do I believe that you're starting nine the guys you're going to put out there they can compete. Um, you know your lineup can compete most times at regardless of the level that you're at. I got asked this this year with our team at the division three level, you know, how, how do I think we put up the numbers we did? And part of it was because we had some quote unquote division two talent, but I think some of those guys could have played at the division one level as well. You know, our, our, some of the guys on our bench um, playing behind some of those starters, they still need another year or two to develop, to be able to put themselves in that same position that most of our starters were in this year. And, um, you know, I think that's what, our program is built on every program isn't built that way. We try and get guys to develop at, at a pretty quick rate and we're not afraid to bring guys in who might be 
feel like we got we got to tinker with and, and you know play with some stuff to get them to perform at that level. But you know, at the Division One level, Ethan, you got every weekend starter is going to be ninety. Every guy to the pen is going to have throw ninety or you know beyond that. They're all going to have you know a plus secondary pitch, if not two or three secondary pitches, right. and and they're going to be able to throw pitches over the plate, all of them. You know, at the at the Division Two level, you might have two weekend starters that are, you know, that are like that. And the third one, it might be a, uh, you know, a, a a flipper. Like he's got some junk, and he could he could be real crafty, that lefty crafty that we all we all envy. Uh, at the Division Three level, like each each weekend rotation might have one guy like that, and then the other two might be those crafty type guys or guys that can really um, manipulate the baseball. Um, so like the power may not be there, the depth may not be there, but the the top level talent. Depending on the on the level that you're at, I, I still think is there, regardless of the level that you're at. So I, I would say that's my answer is the depth, because the top talent is still there. Right, and it's hard to generalize for an entire division, right? Because we both know that at the Division One level, there's you know everyone can play, but there's a big difference between the top tier Power Five schools and then the bottom of the barrel mid majors. Right, uh, and the same goes for every level. So it really you know, we've heard that a lot, that it's about depth and it's about development. And there's going to be guys at every level who really stand out. And um, the good the good programs have more of those guys. So I think that's a really good recap of, of differences between Division One, Division Two, and Division Three players and, and programs. But it does kind of reiterate what we talk about a lot, which is as a player coming out of high school, looking for a program that fits what you need so that you're happy and you can develop the way that you want rather than uh, making these sweeping generalizations. You really have to do your homework and, and look into each program individually in each conference. Would you say that's accurate? A hundred percent, man. I think, you know, a lot of times kids and families and, and recruiting services get caught up in the biggest possible offer or, you know, the biggest university, and, and that's not what every kid needs. Um, it's just not. You know, you could probably speak more on that than I could. Um, going to a smaller Division three school that felt like had everything you needed um, when you chose to go to Carleton. And, you know, it, it should it should be looked at for that point of view for all recruits. You know, unfortunately, I think it, it, gets, a little, uh, it gets a little sideways, you know, in the recruitment process, and hopefully we can get back to more of that. Yeah, well, that's that's why we're here, and that's why we appreciate you coming on to talk about this stuff, because obviously having the knowledge and information goes a long ways. Let's kind of continue on this track. Talk a little bit about Juco baseball. You played in a very competitive Florida league, played for Brevard Community College, which is now Eastern Florida State College, but talk a little bit about the opportunities that Junior College presents, and and just your experience and some of the benefits that you experienced playing junior college before moving on to the Division One level. Well, first off, I mean, let, let's set the table straight. You know, junior college gets looked at as this fallback option. You know, I'm not going JUCO unless I have to kind of deal. Um, and I will forever believe that going to Brevard, uh, Eastern Florida, when it was Brevard, um, was the best decision I've ever made in my life. Um, I had a 3.6 something GPA at a high school. I had over a thousand on my SAT. Like I was a good student. By no means was it a fallback option for me right. um, to go to Brevard, but it gave me an opportunity to develop and mature, um, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. There was so much I needed to work on. 
and that opportunity gave me gave me the uh, that school gave me the opportunity to do all those things um that all being said you know the the level of competition there ethan was was honestly scary um i was i was shocked at how good it was quite frankly um you know i grew up with broward community college just down the road from me right across from nova southeastern and um i went to a few games here and there and i saw some really good players um you know there's there's been some major league talent come out of broward and so i knew that the level of competition was good but i don't think i understood how how consistent it would be my first conference weekend ethan two of the three guys that we faced that weekend were are now playing major league baseball in Jarrell Cotton and Derek Law. <laughs> and how about that, that for a welcome to junior college moment? The first pitch I saw was a was a hammer from Jarrell Cotton um, <laughs> in conference. It was just a, a breaking ball, twelve six hammer. I took it, my eyes my eyes widened, and I looked in the dugout like, "Yo, I'm in for a long day." <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah that that level of competition was it was second to none. Man seconds to none you know we faced guys like cotton Corey spangenberg played in that league jabari blash played in that league um so the competition was there you know my team we didn't we weren't the best we weren't the most talented but but we had a bunch of guys that like to compete um i thought ernie rosso was my head coach um jeff tam took over after him uh, but rosso did a phenomenal job of just keeping us engaged and keeping us wanting to learn um because he he really was the one who vaulted me up to my next my next stop when I when I got recruited to Upstate, it was really a lot to do with Rosso, um, and he's not there anymore. But I still keep in touch with him and the Ray Hall brothers who recruited me and helped coach me there. Um, did a phenomenal job of just teaching me the game um, in a way that I I really felt like I wasn't ever taught before. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, it did a, it did a lot for me on and off the field, Ethan. And what you're saying, you know, about that top tier talent again just really matters doing your homework because you and I have both seen some junior college programs play where it's it's the exact opposite right yeah. you know very local schools or rural schools that only draw from the local area where they're trying to fill out a roster they're not looking to compete on that level so again the need for players to do their homework and so they don't waltz right in thinking that they're going to you know, be the starting shortstop, and then all of a sudden they have, you know, a few D1 kickbacks and and, form, and guys that are going to be playing the big leagues who they're competing against. Yeah. You also mentioned that almost like a lifeline to other levels. If you're really dead set on playing Division One, then that junior college experience can give you a chance to mature and a chance to continue to pursue those opportunities. Yeah, without a doubt. Um I wasn't that guy who was dead set on Division One. I. I think like most kids, my heart was, you know, it told me that's where I wanted to be. Um, but I wasn't dead set on it. You know, I had an offer from Lynn University down in Boca Raton. Um, I just I chose to go to junior college, and they actually offered me at a junior college as well, again, um, as well as uh, Florida Tech right there in Melbourne where Brevard was. Um I, I truly, Ethan, like I, I went to Upstate on my visit and I fell in love with the school. I really enjoyed the coaching staff and the players. The facilities were phenomenal. Um, and it was a program that I felt like was on the rise, making the transition from Division Two to Division One, and being one of the first classes to be able to compete compete for the, the ASUN championships. Um, it meant a lot to me. And so, 
you know, I thought it was the right decision for me to go there. And, uh, you know, division one, two, I think it played a factor with me for sure. Maybe subconsciously, if anything, but you know, like, like you said, I don't know if I was dead set on, on playing right. at division one level. Aside from kind of that top talent guy that you're talking about, the, the guy who you face and you know has a good chance in professional baseball, what are some of the differences between the kids who went to your junior college with you who made it mm-hmm. to you know transfer to a four-year school and, and had success? What's the difference between that kid and a kid who shows up and, and fizzles out or, or doesn't get recruited to play yeah. beyond the two-year level? It's focus. There's a lot of, uh, I'll call it white noise, for lack of a better term, Ethan, um, that you, you face, you know, controversy. A lot of people who just aren't focused at, at the junior college level. And we had some really talented players at Brevard that I played with who, uh, you know, who didn't get an opportunity after, after Brevard because, um, you know, whether it be an off the field issue or, or their folk, their lack of focus in the classroom. So. That's my answer, man. It's, it's focus. Um, guys who, you know, I went into junior college with a plan. You know, I wanted to go there. I wanted to play two years. I wanted to get my AA, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go play at the best fit for me possible. And I right. think I executed that plan pretty well. There's guys who say they have that plan, and then they go in there, and they don't execute it. Um, and I think it's for a lack of focus. And then there's guys that go in with no plan, and that often doesn't turn out very well. Yeah. Yeah, I think you got to have a plan, and you got to stick to it because you'll face some controversy at the, at the junior college level for sure. Um, like I said, be it, you know, in the, in the classroom, on the field, off the field, in the dorms, in the, in the apartments, there's going to be, there's going to be some dicey situations. There's going to be some, some, some guys who don't have the highest quality character that you're, you're faced with, uh, interacting with on a daily basis. And, you know, that is part of that route, um, for sure. But yeah, I think if you're focused and you're self-driven, you know, internally motivated, those things don't really phase you. Well, hey, you're giving some great information to our listeners about the various levels of college baseball. But I want to shift a little bit and I want you to get into more of a a coaching and recruiting mindset. You know, you've spent time recruiting at the D1, D2 and D3 levels. Uh, You're a head coach at the D3 level now and you just took your program from a transition from D2 to D3. You know, you're out on the recru- on the road recruiting. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see made by recruits, you know, that a player listening to this should try and avoid, whether that's at a game or in their interactions with you, just any part of the recruiting process? What are some of the mistakes you see kids make on a regular basis? Yeah, yeah there's there's a bunch, Ethan. You know, well, let's start, you know, in, in game play. You know, you show up to a tournament. Um, I watched a kid today at a, at a collegiate league game. You know, my biggest thing, Ethan, is you never know who's watching. And it's something my high school AD told me, I think, when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, you never know who's watching. And I watched a kid show up today about 30 minutes before the game. And, you know, I don't know. He could have been working. He might have a job. He might have came from somewhere else. Um, but he didn't really hustle onto the field. He had flip-flops on, and he kind of had his shirt on tucked. And, you know, he looked like he wasn't really – um, enthused to be here. And, uh, you know, I, I see that a lot, especially at these travel ball tournaments where the guys are playing double, double headers, triple headers, um, that lethargic attitude, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that, that really bothers me. Um, Ethan, I'm not going to mention his name, but we recruited a kid, um, when we were, when we were working together, uh, we, we saw him and we both looked at each other and I, I know you're going to know who I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> 
but we recruited a kid, you know, almost solely based on the way, the way he played the game, not, not necessarily how good he was. Um, but he sprinted on and off the field. Like he was, he was pumped to get up to the plate. He was, you know, dapping up his teammates. And I know it sounds cliche, um, to say, but like those high energy guys, like there's always a place for those high energy guys. Those guys that seem like they just want to be at the baseball field 24 seven. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll lose with those guys, man. I, I really would. Um, because those guys, those are the type of guys that I want to have in my corner. So as far as like gameplay, man, I think it's that, you know, just we, I talk to our team a lot about, um, feeling, feeling blessed to just have the opportunity to play this game. Um, it's a, it's a true privilege, uh, to be in a, you know, in a position to play collegiate baseball. Um, and, and, and so many times we take it for granted, you know, in college. And I know we're talking about the amateur level too. And I think it trickles down into that. And, um, I, I think that's really what we're getting at is just taking advantage of the opportunity to play this game every single time you lace them up and, and put your pants on because you never know when it could be your last, whether it's, you know, due to, um, due to an injury, uh, due to, you know, you can't afford to play anymore. There's so many different reasons that the game can be taken away from you. So we got to make sure, you know, in our pro everything we can every day to take advantage of that opportunity on that day. Um, and I think, as far as gameplay goes, that's probably what I see the most of is guys who are just taking it for granted a little bit. Yeah. Almost like they're not present in the moment. Right. Yeah. Um, they're just, you know, they're kind of along for the ride now. And, and that's something that gets magnified, obviously, at the college level when you're practicing more, you're, yeah. more is being demanded of your time. You know, coaches want to know that they're getting someone who's going to be invested and who they're not going to have to reel back in you know, every day to, to get to focus. Because when you step up uh, as a freshman, when you get to campus, it's very difficult to to make that transition. And one thing that you absolutely do need is the focus and the drive and the, the want to be there. So I think that's a really great point. How about parents? Where do parents usually go wrong in the recruiting process? I think they're, they're way too involved. That That's the biggest thing. I think, you know, it's the kids' process and you know, I, I think they should be there to help and not push. You know, they should be there to to really be somebody for their kids to talk to more than for them to do the talking for them. Right. Um, you know, as a as a guy who recruits and, you know, has, has recruited at a bunch of different levels and, and whatnot, like, I, I really don't mind it. I, I truthfully do not mind talking to parents, but I know how frustrating it is to a lot of college coaches. Um, you know, I like I said, I truly don't mind it. Now, I do like talking to the kid. I'm a pretty social person, and I'm going to have my interaction with the prospective student athlete. Uh, but I know there's coaches who don't, who don't, who they, they just don't want to talk to the parent. Mm-hmm. And when the parent is very, very pushy, and it's you know, it's always about, hey, my kid this, my kid that. Here's what he's doing. A lot of times, the coach just wants to hear from the kid, or from somebody other than the parent. Right. Um, so I think it's just being over involved I, I would say is probably the biggest thing and that's a that's an important important distinction there between being helpful and being active behind the scenes and, and being someone that the player can talk to and, and sort of having a voice of reason and then kind of hijacking that process from the kid and yeah. speaking on their behalf let's talk a little bit about 
some of the preferences that you've developed over your time as a recruiter? I'm sure you've had an evolution of, of what you look for and what you prefer in players. And you started talking a little bit about that, you know, by talking about that gamer mentality. What are some of the other things that you've come to prefer out of recruits? What do you see that you know, okay, this kid's going to be okay? Um, that's tough, man. That's a tough one. Got to um, throw you a few curveballs, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to, help myself out by saying like I, I've absolutely missed on kids and I'll miss again um, you know I'm not perfect and I don't know if anybody in this business is um, as far as recruiting kids goes but Ethan I, I think guys who are athletic guys who um, you know it looks like they move well they have you know an athletic swing or an athletic throwing motion you know they run the base as well they have an awareness for the game those are probably probably right there at the top of my list I don't really get caught up in, in too much, you know, arm strength. I think, to me, I think it's maybe the most overrated tool that there is. Just sheer arm strength. Like, you know, if you evaluate infielders, they got to be able to throw it accurately. If you're evaluating outfielders, they got to be able to throw it quickly. If you're evaluating catchers, they got to be able to transfer and throw it accurately. You know, pitchers, obviously, arm strength is a necessity. Um, that's why we bring radar guns to games, um, kids and coaches. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, you know, I, there's, there's definitely matrix, like, there's definitely matrix that I look at and take into, uh, into consideration, like, without a doubt, you know, but, but guys who really look athletic, like, I write down, you know, sometimes you go to a showcase, so you get notes or whatever, right. um, bat speed. Like, does a kid have bat speed? I think if a kid has bat speed, he might have a chance, um, at the next level. It's really hard, in my opinion, to try and teach somebody over four years bat speed. <laughs> That's just a tough, for me, a tough tool to teach. I think in batting practice, I write down, you know, solid contact. Like if kids are consistently barreling baseballs in batting practice, they're going to have a shot at the next level. Now you put those two together and you might have a legitimate college hitter. Mm -hmm. You know, defensively, I, I like to, I like to find kids who have really good feet, guys who like to, you know, it looks like they're moving quick, quickly, but not fast, if that makes sense. Their, their feet constantly put them in a good position to play the ball cleanly um, with their with their hands. And then from there, with their hands, it's really – I like to, to find guys who just look smooth and athletic. Um, I don't really care. You know, I have a way that I teach our guys in our program. Um, if you want to talk about funneling baseballs or, or attacking baseballs, I have a way that we teach it here. But I look for guys who can make transfers clean, and I look for guys who can make throws accurately um, defensively. Um, on the mound – uh, as far as what I look for, you know, obviously, obviously, velo wins, man. I think if you got guys with velo um, mistakes, mistake, you get away with more mistakes for sure. Um, right. So that's that's your answer as to why you're trying to recruit velo uh, for kids who don't know. Outside of that, man, guys who can fill up the strike zone and guys who have good secondary stuff. You put those three together, you know, you're looking at a draft type guy, and then you know, for everyone that you don't have, I think you know the levels kind of change accordingly. And so what you're talking about is not necessarily anything that should be surprising to recruits, but it's it's a matter of making the routine play. It's a matter of being able to hit the ball hard consistently and and get the ball where you need to know. And it's an added bonus if they can do that with Armstrong. Right, and that's and that's for me. Um, you know, that's kind of how I've built my quote unquote recruiting philosophy, if you will. You know, there's other coaches who. They can see a video on a guy, you know, and they're going to know. Um, 
I don't know if I'm there with it yet. Like, I, I don't think I am. But there, there's other coaches who, you know, they love the arm strength. They, they'll take arm strength. They can teach the accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's different for every program. Again, that's part of the kid trying to do his homework a little bit and understand, you know, what that program or coach is, is looking for. That's a great point. And kids can do that. You know, you can, yeah. you can look at a roster and you can find videos of kids and see what they looked like in high school. You can look at a roster and see that, well, hey, every pitcher on this roster is, you know, 6'2 or taller. And if I'm 5'10, they're probably not going to be giving me too hard of a look. Right. So uh, that's a great point, just doing doing your homework and, and understanding that just because a coach doesn't want you to go to a school, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad player. Each coach has their preference. And, you know, there's a good chance that it, there's a coach that prefers what the skills that you have so you just need to keep after it on that on that same note Ethan like I had a literally had a conversation with a kid today um about the fit of our program with where we're at right now and and what he does well um like if the fit doesn't match up like if we got two or three other guys um at a position or you know if it's a corner position or a middle infield position or an outfield position and I know that he's going to come in and be in like heat of competition with these guys. And, and I, you know, maybe I don't want that for the kid. I think it's best if, if I tell him, Hey, look, man, like I know how badly you might want to come here, but I just don't know if it's the best situation for both of us. Mm-hmm. And I think way too many times we get caught up in like, Hey, we need this kid. We need this kid. Or they, the kids get caught up in, I need to go to school here. I need to go to school here. And a lot of times it, it, it always isn't the best fit. You know, it may not be the best fit for both parties. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about on a little bit different level, um, you know, with the size and the the uh, matrix and stuff. Um, but, but yeah, man. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a really good point. I mean, ultimately, coaches and players are looking for the same thing, right? And that's a program fit and from both ends. And if each side doesn't have that fit, then, you know, it's much more likely that things are going to go wrong. So... You know, what we talk about at Keep Playing Baseball a lot is, you know, embrace the no because everyone's going to face some sort of rejection in the recruiting process, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, that that failure, if you want to call it that, is not final. In fact, it's it's what's helping you find the best fit for you. So you need to actively embrace the no and seek out the no in order to find the best yes. I like that, man. I might adopt that a little bit for program next year yeah feel free um has anything changed based on what you look for as you've gone from a d1 coach to a d2 coach to now a d3 coach uh i think i think at the division one level man like we had to be we had to be pretty spot on man i think you know there wasn't a lot of room for error i guess that's the best way to put it like and and there shouldn't really be at any level i just think at that level you know, you can't really miss on guys. You know, you have um, a pretty tight roster limit, and those guys are all supposed to be helping you in some way, shape, or form. At the Division Two level, you know, you see some of these rosters are are big, and, um, you know, if a, if a team or a program misses on a guy here or there, I, you know, I don't know if it's the end of the world. Uh, at the Division Three level, I think it's, you know, the same type deal. Um you may not be worried as much as if a kid doesn't pan out at, at the division one level, I feel like, you know, you, you need, you need to really, really do your homework on pretty much every single kid 
that you're no, not pretty much, but absolutely every single kid that you're thinking about offering or, or bringing in, and, and you need to really lock down. You know, at the Division two level, uh, it, you know, it's the same thing. Like you want to do your homework, you want to get it right every single time and and shoot a hundred percent, but you're not going to, man. You're not going to bat a thousand. And I think um, at the Division three level, it's the same. It's the same thing. Like we're not going to bat a thousand on on recruits and knock them all out of the park. Um, you know, well, we hope they can bring every single day. And, uh, and I'll use a phrase that we use in our program a lot is we hope they can bring their lunchbox every day. Um, even if they can't perform on the field for us at the level that we hope they, w- they would, that they're still going to be um, the best teammate they could possibly be. And they're going to be lunch pail guys. And those are the type of guys that we want in our program and the culture that we want um, at Pfeiffer. So even if we're, you know, missing on them per se from an athletic standpoint, they're still going to be, you know, unbelievable clubhouse guys. They're still going to help out the program in any way, shape, or form possible. Um, Love that. So I think, yeah. Love that. Talking about intangibles right there, right? A little bit, yeah, man. How, so walk us through what a typical recruitment looks like from your end. What's, you know, what's the first step that you guys take when you like a kid or you hear from a kid? And kind of how does that process typically go? Yeah from start to finish um yeah so let's say we see a kid at the you know north carolina state tournament you know they're playing the game and and we see him and we like him you know we're immediately gonna gonna try and reach out to his coach and get get as much intel as we can about the kid kind of person he is if we were fooled by his ability that day has he been consistent we're gonna we're gonna try and do our homework a little bit immediately with the coach if he kind of checks you know checks all the boxes so to speak we're gonna ask the to contact the kid and get his information, you know, obviously this is all assuming that he, he's uncommitted. So if we get, you know, if we get his contact information and stuff, we'll, we'll reach out to him immediately and just get a feel for him over the phone. We're really, really high in our program on getting kids on campus. So, you know, if we like what we see, um, even after one time seeing a kid play, we'll probably have him to campus. Once we have him to campus, you know, we'll show him all the facilities, show him around. I'll sit down and talk with him. Josh Harris, our recruiting coordinator, does a phenomenal job of touring kids and, and showing them everything here and getting them to campus. And, um, you know, we kind of tag team everything in the recruitment process. And the kids, we try and make um, the guys we're asking to campus pretty comfortable here, depending on, you know, depending on the level of the kids. So if we feel like, you know, you know, this is a no doubter, you know, we might just offer him the first time he comes on campus and tell him, hey, man, like this is what we want and kind of lay it all out for him. If it's a kid we need to kind of do our homework a little bit more on, we want to get him to campus because we feel like it's important, but then we still need to go back and, and do some more do some more detail on him. We need to call his travel ball coach. We need to talk to his high school coach again. We need to go see him play a couple more times. Um, so we just need to do our homework a little more. And, and, you know, it happens both ways. We've had kids that we see, you know, one time bring them down to campus and they commit, you know, on the spot and it's, it's unbelievable. And then we have other kids who, you know, it's a, a really long drawn out process and maybe we get them, maybe they don't, but at least we did our homework and we know what we're getting into if we do land that kid. So I think it depends a lot on the ability um, that we see on that given day. And, uh, you know, from there it just kind of takes off. And then what we ask our recruits um, mostly is just to be really, really communicative with us in the process. And I think this is what we were getting talking about with the parents is, is where there's some over-involvement. You know, I'd rather field four four calls from a from a kid than four calls from a parent every day of the week. 
me personally, like I said, I'm going to feel the poor calls from the parent, but there's coaches who won't. And, and I think that's really important for parents to understand. Our goal is information when we get kids here and we want them to feel really informed and comfortable. And then after that, if they have questions or concerns, like they're going to reach out to us. If they had an issue with their application process or they need to know where they stand with a financial aid package, we can help them um, or direct them to the people that can help them. But we just ask them to be pretty, pretty uh, fluid in the communication process um, kind of throughout their recruitment. Right. That's good stuff. Listeners getting a firsthand look into what it looks like to be recruited. One of the things I wanted to ask you is a social media check. Is that part of your yeah, no doubt recruitment? <laughs> no doubt, that's part of doing our homework. Um, you know, every kid, every every recruit that we have, well, we're checking their Twitter and their Instagram big time. You know, big time. I think that that shows character maybe more than anything else. Um, so yeah, that's something I didn't I didn't mention right there that we definitely do our homework on and. Um, Coach Harris is, is really, really big on that. Like he sees kids and, and, you know, we've, we've, we've stopped kids from coming to campus before. We haven't asked them to come strictly based on stuff that we've seen online, um, without a doubt. Really important for people to understand, you know, that's coaches are checking. Thanks for that. Is there any other kind of checkpoints where, or litmus tests where, hey, if this is a no, then we're just going to shut the recruitment down regardless of how talented this player is? grades um yeah if there's you know if there's a kid that doesn't like to do school then i don't know if if, uh if our program is the place for him you know our our program we're we're designed for three things i think we want to be in our program we we try and have good people first so we're trying to be a good son you know a good brother a good classmate a good teammate a good uncle a good nephew those are the kind of guys that we want our program then we ask our guys to be good students Uh, we want them to be not just students academically, but students in life. And a big part of that is being a good student academically. So, you know, right there, the second criteria of our culture, if you will, um, is being a good student. And if there's guys who don't want to do, you know, they don't want to go to school, then, you know, Pfeiffer's probably not the place for them. You know, it's just, it's really not something I believe in. And, and um, you know, I think you're here to get an education first and foremost, without a doubt. You know, you probably know the numbers way better than I do about, kids that go on to play professional baseball after college. And, uh, you know, I know it's not, it's not, it's not favoring. Right. That's all great information. So uh, obviously we're trying to target this information to all baseball players out there. So I'm wondering if you have any particular advice, let's say there's a recruit who has no money to spend on the recruiting process, can't afford to go to camps or showcases, what would you suggest that they do to give themselves the best chance to play at the college level? First off, they need to be realistic um, about their ability and, and where they stand. You know, if they're an SEC, ACC type recruit, for you West Coasters, uh, Big West, Mountain Mountain West, uh, Pac-12, if you're one of those types of recruits and you're one of those types of athletes, you need to understand. Excuse me, you need to understand that. If you're not, then you need to be realistic about it and and. You don't put yourself in a position to be to, to go after schools like that because, quite frankly, you're wasting your own time. Um, so I think being realistic is, is number one. Number two, you know, you don't have the money, the resources. Most people today either have, you know, a cell phone or an iPad or even a little video camera that they can put together 
you know, a two to four minute video clip of some swings, some ground balls, um, where you have multiple different angles, some, some pitching with some velocity, maybe a radar gun. If you, if you have access to one, mm-hmm. um, that's really important to me when I see pitchers, man, and I evaluate them through video, it's, it's really tough for me to tell velocity. You know, you could tell me what you throw in an email, but <laughs> I can't really see it. It's hard for me to believe it until right. I go see a kid. So if you have access to a radar gun, that that's really nice to have in there in the video. You know, if you're running a 60, if you could just get a stopwatch and put that in the video as well and show the, uh, you know, show the actual time on the stopwatch. I think that's important. Um, just adds credibility and, and validity to the video. Um, but, you know, you have a two to four minute video where you could send out and then the information from there can be circulated to, to any number of coaches. Man, Like every single coach has their email, if not their office number if not their cell phone number on their web page and if you're extremely interested in playing at the division two level um right down the road from you hell maybe you just pick up the phone and call the coach and say hey coach you think i can come work out for you give me some dates that might work mm-hmm. here's my video and then you could email it to him and if he likes what he sees he can ask you to have a workout um at the division three level you know we can't we can't have workouts with guys so maybe you send me your video then you call me or you send me an email attached to your video and you say hey coach here's my schedule for the next week you think you'll be able to come see me play if not you know i understand how busy you guys are and maybe i'll get up with you next week and try again so just because you don't have x amount of dollars to spend on a recruitment service that'll hopefully get you recruited somewhere doesn't mean that it the process isn't for you that's for sure where there's a will there's a way and obviously we're here to provide that information for players but it's always nice to hear from coaches that you know you don't need to spend x amount of money to make it to the next level and from if i'm paraphrasing correctly all all it takes is a plan and some perseverance yeah that's much much better said ethan i've always said that you're a smarter guy than i (laughs) and uh you just proved it right there man (laughs) Uh, i don't think so You're, you're sounding pretty smart here you're giving off a lot of great information but uh, we also know that you have a game going on on your field and don't want to keep you forever. So why don't we do one more question and just yeah. something that we really like to ask all the all the people that come on this podcast is if there is one thing that you could communicate about the recruiting process or, or college baseball to a ninth grader who's about to embark on this process and has some interest in playing college baseball, what is the best piece of advice that you could give to him? I'm going to be a little bit off the grid with this response, Ethan, but bring it. I think, I think it's really important that kids enjoy that process. Uh, so I would tell them to enjoy it because I think so much, you know, happens so frequently within that kid's process. They get pressured and it feels like, you know, the weight is lifted off their shoulders when they commit to a school. Um, <laughs> I think it should be an unbelievably fun time for, you know, a, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old to go throughout that, that college recruitment process. And they shouldn't really truly enjoy it because it's only going to happen once, you know, once if they do it, if they do it the way, hopefully, um, hopefully yeah, the way that they plan. So I, I know that's a little bit contrarian. Um, I know it sounds weird, but I really, you know, I ask kids when they come down to campus, like, Hey man, did you enjoy your, did you enjoy your visit? Did you enjoy your tour? And, you know, we get some yeses, some head nods, you know, no kid is ever going to tell me, no, I hated it, you know, at least not to my face. But, (laughs) 
but I, I, I hope, you know, I hope that they go back and they can be honest with themselves and their families because it should, you know, if this isn't, isn't the place for them and they could tell that by just walking around, then great. It's not the place for them. They need to truly enjoy their recruitment process. And like I said, man, I think way too often people in my position, you know, college baseball coaches just put pressure on kids to the point where they, they really can't have fun with it anymore. And it becomes this burden on them that it literally feels like a weight is lifted off their shoulders once they commit somewhere. So, yeah, man, I know that answer is different, but that that's what I'm sticking with. Enjoy the process. Difference good, and that's a theme that throughout your answers is looking for guys who are passionate about the game and, and show that passion on a regular basis. So I, I think that's a great answer. And I think it's a good one to end on. So we'll let you go, Stamp. Know you're busy, man. Uh, but wanted to thank you for coming on the show. I think you shared a ton of value, ton of information with our listeners. That's really going to help them. And we definitely look forward to having you back on the podcast sometime soon. Good luck to you and the Falcons. Ethan Gavon, I appreciate it. Keep him baseball doing a phenomenal job of getting free information um, out to kids. And, and I can't thank you guys enough for what you guys do over there. Keep it up, man. Thanks for tuning in to College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you need more information on the college baseball recruiting process or what it takes to play college baseball, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. You can also track us down on our social media accounts. That's Twitter, at KeepPlayingBB, Facebook, KeepPlayingBaseball, and Instagram, uh, handle at KeepPlayingBaseball. That's it for this episode. We look forward to catching you next time. Until then, take care.